This archival program of Design Matters with Debbie Millman was produced for Voice America Internet Radio. New programs with better audio quality are now being produced for Design Observer. You can subscribe in the iTunes Store or at the Observer Media Channel on Design Observer. Welcome to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, the show that takes you inside the provocative and stimulating world of design and branding as it intersects with contemporary culture. Here's your host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. citizenship test in order to become a full-fledged American. Mike has lived and worked in the United States for nearly 15 years. He has a green card. He's married to an American woman, and they have two small boys. He's been preparing for his citizenship test for the last couple of months, and this past week, as we traveled to visit a client together in North Carolina, he started telling me about the various topics he needed to master in order to pass the test. Essentially, Mike needs to answer 10 random American history and trivia questions correctly, but the 10 questions are from a pool of about 100 he was given to learn by those in the know about the test. Now, the questions aren't trivial per se. For example, they don't include queries such as, who is the father of Britney Spears' first child? But they do include the question, what are the colors of the American flag? Not all of the questions are so simple, however. And as Mike started testing the depth of my own historical character, the examination became tougher and tougher. When he asked me, what is the definition of the Constitution? I fumbled, and then I answered with the following. Aren't they the amendments? He answered that they were, sort of. And then he told me the formal, final answer definition of the Constitution of the United States was as follows. It is the supreme rule of law. I have been thinking about this supreme law and wondering how much certainty one has to have in their beliefs in order to proclaim them supreme. It never occurred to me that the Supreme Court was upholding the supreme rule of law Rather, I assumed that supreme was simply the highest level you could go, in the same way that ultra-deluxe was used in household detergents, or upper-class in airplanes, or extreme in sports is used. Essentially, the Supreme Court's primary function is to uphold the supreme rules of laws, laws that, for the most part, were written in 1791, when slavery still existed and women couldn't vote. Those amendments were ratified into the Constitution decades and centuries later. I fully understand the need for our amendments. Sadly, telling people not to lie, not to steal, and to be nice as often as possible isn't necessarily going to compel them to behave this way. But in analyzing the need for the Constitution, I couldn't help but be struck by some, well, how shall I say it? I was struck by some of its non-sequiturs. The Constitution is supposed to uphold the rights of all the Americans in this country. But in order to do that, it seems that we must either force everyone that doesn't believe in the supreme rules of law to see the reality the way we see it, or to punish them in order to protect those laws. 
What I don't understand is how or why we determined that our laws were indeed supreme. How can we be sure that this is indeed the way that everyone should live and behave? Let's consider the First Amendment to the Constitution. Most everyone knows that it signifies the right of free speech, but it includes quite a lot more, and I'd like to share it with you today. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. This very First Amendment gives us not only freedom of speech, it also gives us freedom of thought. So why are we so obsessed with getting everyone to think the way we want them to think? So despite the fact that we all have this right to privacy, we are still fighting over, for example, who can marry who. This truly puzzles me. Today, a new movie is opening. It is called The Da Vinci Code, and it is based on a book written by Dan Brown. This is a book that has sold over 40 million copies, and it is still selling. I have read the book, and despite hoping not to, I thought it was really interesting. Some people feel differently, and the film's release has apparently sparked protests around the world. This is because of the book's plot, which revolves around a church conspiracy to hide the author's fictional claim that Jesus and Mary Magdalene married and had children. Protesters have included Jews Against Anti-Christian Defamation, the Culture and Family Institute, Concerned Women of America, of which I am not a part, the Catholic Family, the Human Rights Institute, Human Life International, Cardinal Newman Society, Indian Catholic nuns prayed at a protest rally on Tuesday, and after Indian censors cleared the film for a public viewing, Catholic activist Joseph Dias began a hunger strike promising to fast unto death until the censors reversed their decision about showing the movie there. Now, with everything going on in the world, I am astounded that people find it necessary to protest a movie. Sony and the producers of the film have as much a right to articulate their beliefs, whether they are fiction or not, and are protected by the Constitution to do so. Why do some people feel that it is necessary for all of mankind to believe the same exact thing? Isn't it more fortuitous to be able to challenge and evolve beliefs? Think about it. If no one had challenged Copernicus, we would still believe that the Earth was the center of the universe. The first ten amendments to the Constitution are called the Bill of Rights, and as I read through them this week, I got confused and befuddled by some of the legalese, and I couldn't help but wonder how it all got so dense. And the following occurred to me. While our Constitution is a collection of the supreme laws of the U.S., they are not so the supreme laws of the universe. I think we have yet to discover those. So as we search for our profound answers and meaning, I hold out hope that it will one day be possible for mankind to live with dignity and kindness, and that our universal constitution will be the constitution of our spirit, not the constitution of our courts. Welcome to Design Matters with Debbie Millman. My guests today, after this very political monologue, are Todd Bruzan and Sam Potts. Before we get started with our interview, please let me tell you a little bit more about them. Todd Puzan is the managing editor of my favorite magazine in the entire world, Print Magazine, and he is the editor of The Clumsiest People in Europe, a collection of nasty Victorian geography lessons 
written by Mrs. Favel Lee Mortimer in the 19th century and published in 2005 by Bloomsbury USA. It is due out in paperback next month for all you Amazoners. Todd is a veteran magazine editor and writer. He has been a staffer at an improbable group of publications, including Blender, Inside, McSweeney's, Chicago, and Advertising Age. And his writing has appeared in The New Yorker, The New York Times Magazine, The Washington Post Book World, and The Globe and Mail, among others. Mr. Sam Potts has been working as an independent graphic designer since 2002. And in that time, he has designed identity systems for the recently opened IFC Center, the independent film channel's flagship movie theater in New York. And he has worked on designing restaurants here and abroad. He has a number of other projects that he has created, including the official Metropolitan Museum catalog for Christo and Jean-Claude, The Gates, and Bed, 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 a children's story by the band They Might Be Giants. He also designed Todd's book, The Clumsiest People in Europe, which will be part of our conversation today. Welcome, Todd and Sam. Hi, Debbie. Hi, Debbie. Hello. How are you both? We're great. Very good. Thanks. Good. Well, I want to start out with a very easy question for both of you. How did you meet? How did we Is that an easy question? I, well, I, don't, I don't know, unless it was in some sort of I don't bar somewhere. <laughs> it, was, it was prior to the book. Uh, it was prior to working together. And um, I think that we worked on the book because we knew each other. I think that's right. Sam, have, I, I'd seen his design work. Um, I also knew him personally through mutual friends. But I, I had seen some work that he had done for a uh, for a monthly lecture series that took place in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, uh, every month a couple of years ago that was hosted by a man named John Hodgman. He, he's a um, sort of the George Plimpton of our generation. He's a, a, an incredible writer um, who also happens to star in the new commercials for the Apple uh, the new MacBook. Oh. Um, he plays the PC. I was going to say, which one yeah, does yeah. he play? He's the PC. <laughs> and um, John hosted the Little Grey Book lectures in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And Sam designed a couple of the, uh, what you call them, programs, I guess. Yeah, they were they were Little Grey Books, basically, for the, you know, for e- each each lecture is a, a thematic presentation of readings or stories or it's songs. live vaudeville. And did you yeah. call them Little Grey Books? Yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah. That was the title of the books. That was, yeah. So, yeah. That, so, so who introduced you to it then? Who introduced me to what? To to who had, had oh. it, like, who did it? Uh, mutual friends. Mutual. I think that's that's as far back as my memory goes. Yeah, me too. Um, I, I'll, I'll credit John Hodgman okay. since he, he seems to have done everything else. Yeah. And you both have worked for Dave Eggers. Yes. You, mm-hmm. you, Todd, you've had work printed in McSweeney's, and Sam, you designed it. You designed Eggers' Brooklyn Superhero Supply Company, which I want to talk to you about. Mm-hmm. It's an outlet for quality crime-fighting merchandise <laughs> for those that are interested in capes, and is also the entryway into 826 NYC, a free writing and tutoring center for students. And so, what were each of your individual experiences with Mr. Eggers like? Um, terrific. I can't speak for Sam, but I think oh, yeah. I think we both. Um, both benefited a lot from knowing him. He's a he's a great person and a, an editor with a vision unlike any that I've come across. Um, a very sure sense of both editorial and design. Yeah. Well. Well. Todd's uh, Todd goes much further back than I do with uh, with Dave and of course with McSweeney's. But um, uh, I came much later after the there was a McSweeney's store in Park Slope which closed down uh, about two years ago, and uh, 
in place of that, we opened 826NYC, the tutoring center. Mm-hmm. And Dave was and Dave is the founder. He's, that's his vision, and uh, it's it's an amazing thing. Uh, it's a free writing center for kids and has a store in front of the tutoring center, which hides the tutoring center, actually. Right. And that's the superhero store. And in our case, it's a superhero store. In San Francisco, the original, it's a pirate supply store. Uh, <laughs> there are other franchises, other chapters around the country now. And it is hard to find pirates. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, it's not easy to find a good eye patch. I mean, eye patches are everywhere, <laughs> but good ones, you know, you want, you want a good one. So I have a question for both of you. You, did you, you knew him both. You both knew him before he was famous. Oh, um, no, I, I oh, you didn't. No. Okay. I, uh, I, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, fame is such a slippery. Well, but, but yes. In our, yeah. in our little small sort yeah. of pond of a community. Sure. And, and, Todd, you also obviously have worked with many, many designers, and you probably get to know their work way before they sort of hit the big time. Is there a thread of consistency that you can see in people of real greatness? Oh, I think so, yeah. I mean, he's he has a very singular, distinct vision that is not clouded by trend. Um, it's it, it's a very personal thing, and I think these things have to be very personal um, to to achieve the kind of um, universe that that I think he's put together. I don't know if I'm answering your question, though. Yeah, I'm just okay. curious with people that are exposed to a lot of different people with really great talent. Well, you know, and, and seeing that talent evolve over the years and then, you know, maybe eventually hitting the big time and sort right. of when the whole world starts to sit up and take notice and wondering if there is a, a common thread of personality trait or, or sort of willpower that you recognize in, in people. Um, I, I don't know that there is one, but I, I, your, your question is... is Reminding me that I always felt regret that he, um, as far as I know, Dave never met Tibor Kalman. And I think the two of them really share a lot of the same kinds of uh, sensibilities about the world. Um, I think if there's a balance between brain and heart, I would say Dave is maybe a little more brain and Tibor is maybe a little more heart or was. But I do think that they they shared a lot of the same kinds of um, visions about how how to make the world a little better and how to make it a little more fun. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you for answering that question. A little bit off topic, but uh, yeah, I'm sorry. curious. No, no, <laughs> okay. it was, I asked the question. Um, well, we have to take a break. When we come back from our break, I want to talk all about your book, your joint project, and I'd like to let everybody know that they are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guests today are the lovely Sam Potts and Todd Prezan. We'll be right back with our broadcast after these messages, so please don't go away. Listen wherever you are. 24-hour business and financial news. Solid, focused, and informed. The leader in business talk. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. And now, Voices of Design, a documentary series brought to you by Adobe Systems. The Voices of Design series brings together different voices from the design community to share and exchange ideas on various topics. Today's show features a three-part discussion focused on the topic of sustainability. This is part one. Enjoy. What is sustainability, and what does it mean to the design community? Let's listen to what the designers at the Compost Modern 2006 conference have to say on this topic in Adobe's Voices of Design series. Here is Phil Hamlet, Chairman, AIGA Environmental Committee. The definition of sustainability that I like to use is quite simple. It's basically leave the place in better shape than you found it. Scott Summit, 
Summit ID. Sustainability is particularly elusive, especially in industrial design, and that's one of the main reasons I'm here is to try to get a handle on what it means and just how it applies to what I do every day and what I can impart to my clients. Mark Willard, IDO. The pressure is on, and whoever solves it in a more sustainable and desirable way is ahead of the game and, and is what whether people sort of consciously or subconsciously know it, it's it's definitely what we need. You have been listening to the Voices of Design series brought to you by Adobe Systems. To grow a company, revenues need to grow. To grow revenues, the organization needs to grow. But what does it take to get and keep quality personnel needed to grow business? Tune into Real People Really Leading with Trish Lambert. Get the inside scoop on how to leverage your best assets to sustained business growth. Trish and her expert guests, from business owners to CEOs to solopreneurs, share the knowledge, experience, and business savvy they have used to lead their teams to continual and persistent business victory. Real People Really Leading broadcast every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Real people really leading because knowing is growing. Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business. This is Voice America Business. We're back with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 866-472-5790. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Welcome back. It is 3.18 Eastern Time, and you're listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, live from the Empire State Building in New York City. I'm your host, Debbie Millman, and my guests today are Sam Potts and Todd Prezan. If you'd like to join our conversation, if you have a question for Todd or for Sam, our phone lines are now open. You can call 1-866-472-5790. So, gentlemen, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about your book, The Clumsiest People in Europe, which is a fine, fine book, yes? It's, it's Todd's book. Uh, <laughs> that was Sam speaking, in case anybody didn't realize. Well, you worked on it as well. Yes. So, um, but I'll ask my first question to Todd then. Um, as I mentioned in my introduction, the book is a collection of very nasty Victorian geography lessons written by a Mrs. Favelli Mortimer. And Todd, you start the book this way. And I love this. This part is, is one of my favorite parts of the book. My crush on this complex woman, I confess, began to get serious. My sentiments had intensified over a slow evolution as mundane as anything you'd witness in a junior high school homeroom. An initial spark of scorn and amusement has escalated into curiosity, then sympathy, and before I knew it, I couldn't stop thinking about her. I knew she deserved an audience again, and despite any salvation that she hopefully found in prayer, I knew she'd need to be saved by someone on earth. Like any dutifully optimistic lover, I knew I'd be the one to rescue Mrs. Mortimer. But first, I'd need to find her. So, Todd. I should add that I'm married now. <laughs> <laughs> I know all the women's hearts all over. All, all the design women's hearts are breaking right now. Um, but can you tell your listeners, our listeners, how you discovered her, how you fell so hard and so deep? Uh, I discovered her by accident. I was in a used bookstore in Massachusetts. And um, there's a very good bookstore in Martha's Vineyard. If anybody happens to be anywhere near there or is going to be going there, it's called the Book Den East. Uh, it's an old barn, and they have a lot of incredibly insane curios. This was something that caught my eye for a reason that I can't even remember, but um, 
I picked it up thinking that it was a guidebook, and um, once I started flipping through it, finding these insane lessons about how terrible every country in the world is, um, I knew I just had to take it home and figure out what it was. And my, my initial reaction to it was was utter scorn. But um, after a while, I, I really began to feel a lot of sympathy for the writer, um, who I think had a very hard life as I began to piece it together. Now, you continue the book in this way. Um, no matter where your ancestors had the misfortune of living, no doubt smoking too much or taking snuff or reading useless novels, Mrs. Lee Mortimer had something nasty to say about them. Their issues, according to Mrs. Mortimer, might have amounted to just about anything. And here are some examples. The, and, and this is by no means the belief system of any of <laughs> the speakers on today's show. Um, the Irish are very kind um, and good-natured when pleased, but if affronted are filled with rage. In Italy, where I'm about to go, the people are ignorant and wicked. In southern Sweden, the cottages are uncomfortable, and it gets worse and worse. And you acknowledge that the many passages that you read of, that you read of her startled and unsettled you with what you call the vicious, systematic, country-by-country country savaging of the entire world, and that it became impossible for you to spend even an hour in the bookstern company without feeling a little queasy. So what compelled you to put together a complete book of her work? Well, this stuff does unsettle me, but I also thought it was really funny. And um, I wanted more people to kind of kind of know about this, uh, you know, that, that somebody actually committed these lessons to, to print and got a publisher to, to put it out there. Um, you know, it struck me as sort of a snapshot of Victorian prejudice yes. in the mid-19th century in, in Britain. And I also, I think she deserves some credit for what she did. I think she really believed in what she was doing. I think she thought that she was being purely educational. And her writing, I thought, was great. If this book had been larded in Victorian embroidery and frills, I don't think it would have the same kind of impact that it does mm -hmm. on me and probably on you. Um, it's written in a very direct, stark uh, type of language that feels very modern in a way. Yeah, it's definitely not precious. Not at all. Um, Todd and Sam, we have a caller. We have Gregory from New York on the line. Gregory, thank you for calling Design Matters. Hi, Debbie. Hi, Todd. Hi, Sam. Hi there. Hello. Hi, um, Todd. The question's for you. Of course, Debbie, Debbie got the question I was going to ask you, but that's okay because I had a second part to it. Um, <laughs> after reading um, Mrs. Mortimer, did you were you compelled to read other Victorians? Did the Victorians intrigue you? Because, you know, Mrs. Trollope, Anthony Trollope's mother, wrote a real skating um, book about life in America from her visits, and she actually did visit, and it wasn't very nice. Right. <laughs> that, that's one thing I should add about Mrs. Mortimer. She never actually traveled anywhere. Right. <laughs> um, that's, that's a key component of the whole thing that I keep forgetting to mention. But... Um, well, she, she looked it all up on the Internet. <laughs> yes. Like in the 1800s. Yes, yeah. exactly. She checked uh, Google 1.0. <laughs> um, uh, I, I don't think I had a tremendous interest in Victoriana before I went into this, and I'm not sure that it has sparked, you know, sparked my interest to go search for a lot more. I have read a lot more Mortimer uh, specifically. I went. Uh, she wrote about 16 books, and um, three of them were about geography, but the rest were mostly... Um, reading lessons and, and biblical primers and things like that. So I, I collected a bunch of it and have read a lot of it, and it's all you know in the same kind of vein of uh, vaguely cruel but readable lessons. <laughs> um, but um, 
Victoriana, I think, is is definitely something for you know the future of my bedside table. Certainly. Were you able to find out a lot about her life, or is she just really obscure? Um, she is really obscure, and I found out as much as I could, which is not a tremendous amount. She's she's really kind of disappeared into um, the mists of history, um, which is interesting. I think because these books really did sell pretty well when when she was around. Um, they were printed for. A while they they were written in the 1840s and 1850s, and um, these these particular geography books were probably printed for 60 or 70 years after that. Um, she still has a book in print. She had a book called The Peep of Day, um, which was her first book, and that's you can still find paperback editions of that on Amazon. Right. Well, I you know I, I love I love the eccentric Victorian. So thanks for um, discovering her and bringing her to us. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Colin Gregory. <laughs> Bye. You know, Todd, I were I read that you were worried that you were going to run into Mrs. Mortimer's ghost <laughs> and that you would have that she would come after you with a rolling pin. Is that true? <laughs> um, well, I did I did go looking for her in the graveyard where she was buried. Now you never found her, did, did you? Did not find her. No, it, it turned out to be a very very vast field of very blurry gravestones that have been weathered very badly. And, um, How does so, it feel to be looking for somebody so long ago lost? And um, I, I, I think I, I was looking forward to making an introduction. Um, you know, I didn't think I was going to leave a bottle of wine or anything, but I, I was looking forward to kind of seeing where, uh, where she kind of wound up and was a little sorry that, um, that I couldn't complete that. Right. But, but it was very nice to see where she was living, the, the part of England that she was in. Now, Sam, what did you think when Todd asked you to design the book? Uh, well, I'm uh, uh, always very grateful when uh, when I get asked specifically to to uh, to do a project when when somebody comes to me and says, "I think you're the right person for this," which is, I think how I think how that uh, it sort of worked out. And um, Sam is the only person I called. Oh, I was going to say, how did you choose him? I mean, he's what the was only person I approached. And why is that? You just thought the sensibilities. Or perfect for each other? Uh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I'm not sure if that's a good thing well, or a bad thing, Sam. <laughs> oh, no, 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 it was a good thing. Uh, Todd actually has uh, has copies of her books, the original original hardcover, I mean, very old uh, copies of these books, and they're just those beautiful, uh, small, object-like books with uh, beautiful stamped covers and quirky typography inside, and, and that stuff... A lot of different kinds of design appeal to me, but that uh, that has a certain mm-hmm. corner of my heart. So, uh, Are you influenced by Alexander Isley? Uh, somewhat, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Although I was never a spy magazine reader, and, and uh, I came to design actually later than that. But, um, but uh, young one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but this book really seemed like an opportunity to delve into that world of design, but also not not succumb to it, I guess, or not try to imitate it word for word or typeface for typeface. Um, you mean in a Victorian sense? Yeah, not to recreate a Victorian design, because t- what Todd was doing was writing his own layer on top of it. Mm-hmm. So um, I think we talked a lot about even the interior typography of the book and how it should retain some of the weird punctuation that uh, that, that uh, Mortimer had, right. but, but not be uh, just a facsimile. Now, um, I have the advantage of, of seeing a number of different sketches that you've brought <laughs> to the studio to um, just to see you know some of the other options that you presented to Todd for the cover. Um, what made you decide to choose this one particular design? 
That design that is on the cover now, and of course you can't see it if you if you haven't seen it. This will this um, will try to persuade our listeners to mm-hmm. run well, what right it, out and the, the design is the it, it's uh, it's a map uh, it's a section of a map of Europe taken from I think an 1895 atlas mm-hmm. that we bought together Sam and me um, very near here actually at, at um, on Madison Avenue, yeah. and what Sam did was he took the map and very painstakingly um, pixel by pixel stripped out all of the geographic names and replaced them with insults from the book that related <laughs> to each country. Um, for example, um, you know, Ireland is labeled with potatoes, misery, and foolish. And I think uh, the former USSR is drunk, dishonest, dirty, and unjust. Right. And Again, uh, no reflection on our opinions. Exactly. Right. And it, it really perfectly telegraphed a very difficult-to-explain book um, visually, you can look at it and know exactly what the book is, and it's a very tough book to try to explain to somebody. Um, I have trouble mm-hmm. explaining t- explaining mm-hmm. it to people even today. Well, we'll come back after our next commercial break and talk a little bit more about the book, and then I'd like to talk about some of your other projects that you're both working on, individually or together. Um, I'd like to let everybody know that they're listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guests today are Sam Potts and Todd Prezan. We'll be right back with our broadcast after these messages, so please don't go away. Fresh, dynamic, and totally prepared for continuing business education. Business Talk Radio. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. And now, part two of Adobe's Voices of Design series, a documentary that brings together different voices from the design community to share and exchange. Today's topic is sustainability. Enjoy. The challenge of sustainable design. Let's listen to what the designers at the Compost Modern 2006 conference have to say on this topic in Adobe's Voices of Design series. Here is Sonora Bean. Digital Hive Ecological Design. Sustainability isn't just a great idea, but it's a design challenge. And so as designers, how can we use our skills and our thinking and our strategy to promote social change? Ron Radziner, Marmel Radziner Architects. I think that architecture as a profession that we've become too removed from the actual act of making and we've become kind of just aesthetic consultants and I think that our office is this attempt to bring that all back together which is really how buildings used to be designed and built and take responsibility for what we design. You've been listening to the Voices of Design series brought to you by Adobe Systems. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh, uh, There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt U.S. Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. You hear business show after business show all geared towards improving a company's bottom line. But what about your bottom line? How come no one ever talks about that? Finally, a show dedicated to the worker. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, The Work Walk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, The Crow Show is aimed specifically at the worker and their environment. From work skills and technology to dealing with bosses and coworkers, The Crow Show will give you insight on how to survive and prosper in today's workplace. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, The Work Walk. 
heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line of Business Talk, businessamericaradio.com. Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business, this is Voice America Business. We're back with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 866-472-5790. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Live from the Empire State Building, you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, the only talk radio show on the Internet focusing on issues relating to graphic design, branding, and culture. I am Debbie Millman, your host, and my guests today are Sam Potts and Tom Prusan. If you want to join our conversation or if you have a question for Sam or Todd, please call. The lines are open, 1-866-472-5790. And um, we've been talking about the book, The Clumsiest People in Europe, or Mrs. Mortimer's Bad-Tempered Guide to the Victorian World, written and edited by Todd Prusan, designed by Sam Potts. And Todd, in um, the research that Jen Simon, my researcher, did, this week, we came across a piece that you'd written in the New Yorker last year, and um, I want to read another one of your quotes, your marvelous quotes. Um, we all paint the people we've never met and the places we've never seen in broad strokes based on what we've read or heard or seen on TV. Of course, we make such judgments at our peril, but hoary cliche, cliches persist and survive because we find them useful. Often, when we want to know how to think about or engage with a representative of an unfamiliar culture, stereotypes are all we have to start with. I remember one morning ten years ago in London when I told a Jamaican-born cabbie I was visiting from Chicago. He asked me two questions. If I knew Michael Jordan, and more cautiously, if I owned a gun. So, do you, this is a question for both of you. Do you think that prejudice is just part of being human? Yeah, I, I kind of think it is. I, I mean, I, you know, one, one of the things that, that also unsettled me about researching this book was realizing that um, we're really not so far away from where she was 150 years ago. I mean, it's, it's very easy to laugh at her, and I think it takes a little more time to kind of come to the understanding. You know, I say things like this all the time. It, you know, it might not be about the Irish being drunks, but, you know, I think we all... We all have ideas about people we don't know and cultures we don't know yeah, and religions we don't. we're not familiar with. And I probably would have had equally stupid questions for the Jamaican cab driver <laughs> in London. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, do you do you feel like this is a book that is giving people an opportunity to look in the mirror a little bit more carefully, or do you think it's more entertaining? I mean, just tell me what your thoughts are about sort of the state of the world then and the state of the world now, if you can. Mm, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I would hope that it's more entertaining than anything else. I think that's that's sort of the primary idea behind it. Um, but, you know, I also wanted to to kind of show this forgotten woman to the world and, you know, remind, remind people that she was out there and mm-hmm. maybe remind ourselves a little bit of where we are today. Yes. Yeah. So, Sam, you've designed other... Oh, you were going to say something. Oh, well, I was going to say what, what really struck me about uh, uh, Mrs. Mortimer is that she was a best-selling author in her time and now is completely unfindable in a field of, of worn-away gravestones. And um, it's very easy to relate that to, you know, your own life and think, oh, well, uh, I have this certain part of the world carved out, but how 
you know, permanent is how it? permanent is it? And, well, I don't know. That's sort of... Uh, Relevant, yeah, necessary. Sort of, I know. Yeah, it's an interesting kind of super context outside of the book, which is that uh, she's totally forgotten yet uh, was very big in her time. It's really interesting the things that we sort of hold on to and remember. I remember many, many years ago seeing a movie, and I think it might have been like one of the early Star Trek movies, and they were talking about, you know, found ephemera on some planet, and they were making a remark that the books that they found were from the big ones, Harold Robbins and Jacqueline <laughs> Suzanne. <laughs> and I always, I always think about that and wonder, you know, who will the big ones be, yeah. you know, in yeah. 150 years? And will it matter? Who, who, will it matter? Yeah. Will, it, will yeah. we even be here? But, yeah. you know, what is what is the work that ultimately resonates with a culture? You know, yeah. what is it that not only makes a difference but stays in people's memories? And, and what does that say? I and mean, then coming back to prejudices, what does that say about our judgment now? If we, you know, we're so Dan Brown, we think, is, oh, this is an amazing book, but it could turn out to be nothing in two yeah, years. A million little pieces. <laughs> you know. mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Little mil- million little fragments. <laughs> um, so, Sam, you've designed other books. I mean, obviously, right here in front of me is the book that you designed for They Might Be Giants, the wonderful Brooklyn band, uh, the book Bed, Bed, Bed. Mm-hmm. How, does the, how did designing Mrs. Mortimer's book compare to others that you have done? Oh, it's, uh, uh, it was very unique in that um, most of the time, I, I was a book designer at Simon Schuster for a number of years, and uh, uh, I don't think I, I talked to an author maybe three or four times over the course of two years. Uh, and it's usually very, it's, it's more the norm that you don't, as a designer, talk to the authors of the books. Oh, I know designers that design book covers that don't even read the books. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that, that can happen, too. That's a shame. <laughs> yeah. Um, some books harder to read than others. but. Um, Although, if I could just interrupt for one second and say, yes, it's a shame, but I think that some designers might feel that what they're looking for are broader themes right. and not necessarily specifics that are so hidden in a book maybe that people might not get it or... Right, impacted by right, it. But nevertheless, right, we're talking right. about <laughs> this book, these books. Well, as, as I was saying, I, I hardly ever uh, talk to authors uh, of books that I design, but this was uh, this was a, a, a very nice exception to that in that Todd and I actually went shopping for an atlas to find the right image for the cover and um, talked a lot about the, the interior design and, and went through, I don't know, probably... Uh, more than 10 different concepts. Closer to 20, I think. Closer you were to 20. very, very patient <laughs> with me about that. And they're also very, um, very beautiful. Thank you. You put them up you. on your website, Sam, <laughs> so people can see them just for, at least for the next week <laughs> or so while the show is rebroadcasting. I, I could, yeah. I should do <laughs> a lot to my website. SamPotsInc.com. <laughs> but uh, it was it was really a case where I felt like uh, we're, we're roughly the same age and have, have a, a very similar sensibility, uh, I think, in terms of uh, in terms of fiction and writing, and uh, certainly in terms of design, so it was just it just was easy to work together, and it was nice that we could. Mm-hmm. Uh, the publisher really left it up to us. We kind of went off and did what we wanted, and they were happy with what we came back with. So it all worked out. Now, Todd, you have a very intriguing day job. Uh, you're the managing editor of Print Magazine, so can you tell us a little bit about what that's like? Uh, What's it really I, I, like to work for Joyce K? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I can get into that. It's, it's <laughs> a little too intriguing, maybe. Um, it's wonderful. It's it's um, you know it's it's been one of the more rewarding jobs that I've had um, in my career, which is uh, you know I guess I got out of school about 14 years ago, but this is really wonderful because our staff is very small and very dedicated and. Um, we did a redesign about a year and a half ago that was um, it was very editorially oriented as well, and we were all able to kind of take a lot of interest in that and take a lot of ownership over it. Um, 
it's a magazine that I, I know everybody who works on it is very proud to be on it, and um, it's it's just a wonderful experience. I know that's a very vague answer, but what's your favorite thing about working on the magazine? Um, my favorite thing about working on the magazine, um, making a good product better. Mm-hmm. Um, um, it's it's just a very rewarding experience uh, uh, being able to 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 get my hands dirty with the editorial and and really assist it and in, into um, into becoming this this magazine that has its own very specific vision. Um, we have a caller on the line. We have Isabel. Isabel, thank you for calling Design Matters. Hi everybody. Hi. Uh, I, I know you've moved past Mrs. Mortimer, but I only just got through. I just have a question for Todd. Do you plan on printing any more of her work? I know she did about 16 books. Yeah, you know, we talked about it. Um, uh, you know, I've, I've discussed that with, you know, various people involved in the book, and um, I don't really think that her other books are quite as, uh, they're not quite as immediate today. I mean, most of them are, are very religious um, uh, lessons that I think maybe don't have the same universa- uh, universality as this one does. Um, the geography writing, you could almost forget that, that the geography lessons also are, are very uh, religious in nature and very evangelical Christian. You could almost overlook that and still kind of have the same experience with the writing, but that wouldn't really be true of her biblical writing and her reading lessons. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> well, good luck with uh, Prince and all that you guys are doing. I'm really following you guys. It's really amazing. So oh, thank, thank you. you. Thanks. Okay. Um, Thank you for calling, Isabel. Um, we are about a minute till we have a break, so I have to ask a very quick question, and, and actually something I've been dying to know about, Sam. Mm-hmm. I understand um, that you are a general utility softball player. <laughs> so what is that exactly? Uh, it, it means, uh, without having any connotations, it means that I, I play multiple positions. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> is that what that means? Yeah, utility, a utility infielder is sort of like a, a, a multi-purpose tool that can play different positions Oh, I on love the when field. I learn new things. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, unfortunately, uh, uh, I'm a little less of a general utility hockey player, although I've uh-huh. also played So do you have a, a position preference? I uh, like shortstop. <laughs> okay, very good. Now, I also understand that you have a rather intriguing philosophy, which somehow juxtaposes business cards and drinking. And so when we get back to uh, from our break, we will talk about that. Um, so I'd like to let everybody know that they are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guests today are Sam Potts and Todd Prezan. We'll be right back to listen to Sam's philosophy about business cards and drinking after these messages, so please don't go away. Fresh, dynamic, and totally prepared for continuing business education. Business Talk Radio. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. And now, part two of Adobe's Voices of Design series, a documentary that brings together different voices from the design community to share and exchange. Today's topic is sustainability. Enjoy. The power of designers and their influence on sustainability. Let's listen to what the designers at the Compost Modern 2006 conference have to say on this topic, 
in Adobe's Voices of Design series. Here's Michael Schwab, Schwab Design. Design does influence people, and whether it's subconsciously or, or obviously, design does mean a lot, and, and, and it leaves a lasting impression. Paul Sappho, Institute for the Future. Designers are thought leaders, and they're action leaders. Designers have got to get this right, and they've got to define it right, because if they get it wrong, all their wrong ideas are going to be embedded in everything everybody else uses. Mark Willard. IDEO. Designers have been shaping culture for as long as there's been design. We have a huge opportunity, and I think before long it's going to be an obligation or a mandate to figure out how to solve these projects, these issues, these desires with sustainably relevant solutions. You have been listening to the Voices of Design series brought to you by Adobe Systems. The challenge of change comes as ramped up due to the advent of information age and the interconnectedness of global community. In a high-tech world, the ability to embrace change, adapt, and respond accordingly is key to personal and professional success. Talking Change with Ann Powers, airing every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific, explores the hows, whys, and what to do when faced with change. Embrace the new reality, adopt transition into your personal power portfolio, and tune into Talking Change with Ann Powers every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, Right here on the bottom line of business talk, Voice America Business. Learn to thrive, not just survive in business and careers. Unleash your full potential and greatness with the Thrive Factor, unleashing your potential. With tactical coaches and success masters, hosts Dory Willer and Eva Gregory. Dory, Eva, and their masters of thriving expert guests inform, educate, elucidate, and inspire with leading-edge information. The Thrive Factor, unleashing your potential. With Dory Willer and Eva Gregory, broadcast each Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel. The Thrive Factor, success and inspiration at the click of a mouse. The bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. We're back with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 866-472-5790. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Welcome back. It is 3.45 Eastern Time, and you're listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, live from the Empire State Building in New York City. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guests today are Sam Potts and Todd Cruzan. If you'd like to join our conversation, I have a question for either gentleman. This is your last chance. Our phone lines are open. You can call 1-866-472-5790. And uh, before the break, we were talking about Sam's very unique philosophy, juxtaposing business cards and drinking, which I thought would be fun to share with our listeners on a rainy Friday afternoon in New York. Mm. Tell us. Well, uh, the idea was basically that you uh, uh, would have a series of business cards uh, that would correlate to your different states of drunkenness. And the, the, <laughs> the drunker you were, the bigger the type on the card would get, so that, therefore the easier it would be to read uh, ah, in your state. Okay. And uh, uh, I, I think this came out of a personal experience. It was a little while ago, and probably it was you know one of the large, larger type experiences, <laughs> and so that's why I don't really remember it as well. But <laughs> uh, the idea at the end would be that the type was so big you, you wouldn't have to read it. You could just simply hand it to the, hand the card to the cab driver, and he would take you home. Have you um, used one? No, I haven't uh, had to, haven't 
had a chance to get really quite that drunk in, in a while. But. <laughs> now, Todd, you've you've written for a lot of other magazines. Um, you've written for Blender. Uh, you, you've written for the New Yorker. Um, tell us about some of your experiences. First of all, how do you get an article printed in the New Yorker? Mm, I'm still not sure. Uh, I have an agent uh, who represented this book, and he and I have a mutual friend who is an editor at the New Yorker, um, and he passed along the um, the introduction of the book was basically adapted for for the magazine, um, but I, I think he must have given her a copy of the galley, and um, and that's how that got rolling. Um, their fact checking is legendary, and they discovered a couple of things in the introduction that I had to um, try to revamp for the paperback. Really, which I, I'm very grateful for that. Actually. For example, but, give us one example. Um, I think I had accused um, Silvio Berlusconi, the recently deposed Prime Minister of Italy, where you're going tonight. Um, I I think I'd accused him of saying uh, some kind of obnoxious cultural comment, which was actually attributed to the Minister of Tourism, Stefano Stefani. Ah, and, um, their quest to get more people to come to the country. And I'm, I'm still waiting for Berlusconi's people to call us with, uh, you know, their their legal team. But um, luckily, you know, I guess the word of my uh, my vile libel has not reached him yet. So. <laughs> now, the New Yorker to Blender, big difference in mentality and attitude. Yeah. Yet you can, you seem to be able to um, float back and forth with the different styles. What would, what would you say is the, the biggest difference in the way you would approach pieces for either magazine? Um, I think you're, you're always just thinking about who you're writing for. I think that's, that's really the difference. Um, it, it's not to say that someone who reads one magazine couldn't read the other. I read them both. Um, but Blender, you're you're trying to achieve something very different. Um, it's it's more about just how to uh, communicate in a very immediate way to um, help people with their music choices. I think <laughs> you know it's it's not really so much about narrative. It's got a very different purpose. Have you been reading about the the bit of the sort of advertising relevance wars between Rolling Stone and Blender and, and who has more readers and who is more relevant. I That's kind of an ongoing. I know, yeah. I just, but I just sort of got wind of it again, you know, brewing up again because of Rolling Stone's recent magazine cover and right. spending so much money on the uh, retouching of the big anniversary issue. Um, Sam, last year you designed the official book catalog for the Metropolitan Museum of Arts project uh, with Christo, the Gates. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did you get that project? Uh, it was, uh, again, one of these, I mean, I've been very, very lucky, and, and uh, the phone rings, and uh, this time it was uh, a, a man named, uh, oh my gosh, it's so embarrassing, I've forgotten his name. Probably better not to say <laughs> it, because then everybody will be calling him Okay, forward. yeah. Well, well, I don't know well maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Um, uh, well, uh, I had done a lot of work for Princeton University Press, and... Uh, uh, he went to uh, Yale University Press to help them produce this book, and so called me in to design it. And uh, it was just sort of a, a little bit of a whirlwind. All of a sudden, I was sitting in the studio, uh, sort of the reception room of Christo's apartment wow. or his building, which wow. is here in New York. And uh, he and he and uh, Jean Claude, who's a total character with her frizzy red hair that would is actually just dyed red. People thought that it was meant to match the color of the gates, the orange. But <laughs> that's simply that's simply the color that she she's always had. Um, and they're like little pixely magical people who not. I wouldn't want to say they live in their own world, but they they seem very happy doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And now, what's um, a little and pixely about them? They're uh, they're they're eager and excited. Uh, they have none of that sort of what you would imagine the New York art world sort of 
clad in black and, and uh, uh, arrogant, sort of self self protective uh, attitude that you would you would imagine uh, uh, real art stars to have. They they're like friendly and outgoing and. Uh, uh, Jean Claude insisted that I pick up this little sculpture, black sculpture of a hand, and she said, "What's this?" And I said, "Well, it looks like it looks like ebony." And she's like, "Ah!" And she held it down to a piece of paper and scribbled, and it was graphite. She's oh, like, it's yes. a hand that you can draw with. And she's I, like, yeah, I've seen those. Yeah, she was blown away by this. And I'm like, oh, man, that's so very unpretentious. And um, and uh, and they were very sweet to me. And uh, uh, it was a relatively easy project to do in terms of how big a project it was. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not an easy thing to create what they created. But, and uh, did you find that they were pleased with the work that you did right off the bat? Was it something that you had to do a lot of revisions with? Or what was the process? No, like? it's actually funny because they, they have uh, rules about their books. And if you if you look at uh, uh, these catalogs of their projects, uh, there's there's a certain kind of photography that is the, documents, the documentation of the project, which is pictures of them meeting with a community board in 1975, in the case of the Gates, this project goes way back. Uh, and then there's color photos of the work itself, of Central Park with the Gates, or the drawings that Christo does prior to the installation. And um, Jean-Claude is very insistent that the documentation is black and white, and the work of art must be color, and the work of art must be big, and the documentation must be small. And she sort of Repeated mm. these these dictums uh, uh, over and over. <laughs> so much fun for a designer <laughs> to get those rules. <laughs> yeah. So I I had done a, a, the book the page layout in a certain way where there was a very large margin across the top, and the idea was that you know that was the way the gates are, uh, you know it's like a, a, a wicket with a mm-hmm. flag hanging down, and so the, the 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 main element is across the top, and I so I put the margin up there and. Uh, I never even got a chance to explain that to them. <laughs> Why? It just didn't even fly? It just didn't even... They looked at it and like, okay, great, great. Oh, this picture has to be smaller. It's black and white. And, you know, we went on from there. So, uh, uh, you know, you never know what what you have to defend in a design. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, there was actually very little to defend in this one, but uh, uh, it was more a matter of amassing all the information. I mean, it's a 25-year project, so it's really... There was a lot to uh, just corral into the book. Who was easy to work for, Christo or Todd? <laughs> uh, Todd speaks better English. Okay. <laughs> so what, what, last couple of minutes before the end of the show, what are you currently working on, Todd? I'm working on Print Magazine. Print <laughs> Magazine? Um, I would like to work on another book, um, and I uh, will hopefully get to that at some point. Um, but uh, I've been overtaken by events in, mm-hmm. in my real life. Okay. Um, but the magazine keeps me very busy. And Sam, what about you? What's a what's a recent project you can tell us about? Uh, I just did just finished the paperback for uh, John Hodgman's book, The Area of My Expertise, uh-huh. uh, which was a lot of fun. Just finished the paperback for Todd's book, um, and uh, trying to design my own announcement because I moved into an office. I moved out of my living room, and uh, it's been about a month, and I. It's, it's paralyzing to try to do that. <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to uh, finish the show with my final question or my little pop quiz question. One question for both of you. Um, same question. And, of course, you know, I have to ask it. Um, who's your favorite superhero? Tintin. <laughs> he's, he's a superhero to me. <laughs> oh, man, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, I stole that one from you. Yeah, I would say my favorite is uh, Plant Man. Plant Man. We have, a, we have a registry at the superhero supply store in the front desk, in the front uh, foyer where people sign in with their superhero names and their powers and Plant Man was my favorite because his superpower was that he can control people with mind. 
Nice. Very nice. (laughs) Well, we have come to the end of the broadcast today. I'd like to thank both Todd Frizan, Sam Potts for joining me today. I'd like to give a special thanks to our sponsors, Adobe and Nina Paper. I'd like to thank Brian Travis and Ruben Colomb at Voice America and my staff and partners at Sterling Brands, especially Lisa Grant and Jen Simon. Joining me next week is Design Director William Lunderman, and we will be broadcasting live from Italy. So thank you for listening, and remember, we can talk about making a difference, we can make a difference, or we can do both. I am Debbie Millman, and I look forward to talking with you next week. Ciao. Voice America Business would like to thank you for tuning in for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Be sure to listen every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for another exciting hour of Design Matters. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business.